everybody. Welcome back. Hope everything's going great with you. Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Looking forward to another devotional today. Uh, so let's jump right in. Let me pray. God, we thank you for another chance to um, read your word, to not just read words on a page, but to read the living word uh, that cuts down to our hearts and to our souls. Uh, we pray that we would not just know about you from this reading, but we would actually know you better and that knowing you better uh, would change how we see ourselves, change how we see the world around us. Um, just speak to each one of us uh, personally. Um, and we know that you will. We thank you for it and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are going to read Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people to the Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who you have sent. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. 
So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward his people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. I've been reading the Bible for myself for more than 20 years now. And my experience is that it's helpful to have multiple tools when doing so. That is to say, multiple ways to come at the text. And one of the tools that's been helpful for me is this set of three questions. Number one, what does this passage reveal about God? Number two, how does this what does this passage reveal about people? And number three, how do I, quote unquote, fit into this passage? In other words, what's connecting with me personally? Today, I want to use that first question, what does this passage reveal about God, to frame our time together. For me, I see the identity of God, the symbol of God, and the capacity of God in this passage. First, for his identity. Remember that at this point, Moses is an alien in just about every sense of the word. This is detailed in Exodus chapter 2. He was taken from his birth parents as a baby and raised in the palace of the Egyptian king. But because of his murder of an Egyptian slave driver, he was rejected by both his fellow Hebrews in Egypt, who saw him as a hypocrite, and by the Egyptians who raised him and had become his family. The, the text told us that Pharaoh wanted him dead, and so he fled into the desert. And then when he was there, he was referred to as an Egyptian by the locals. In other words, he's a foreigner. He's not one of us. At the beginning of today's passage, we see him tending a flock that belonged to his father-in-law. In other words, he had no flock of his own. If you have a study Bible or access to one of the several good, uh, several good Bible commentaries that are available on the internet, then you probably know that Moses is roughly 40 years removed from when he fled Egypt during the time of this passage. So after an entire generation, he is still a man without a true home, a man considered an outsider, and a man without a flock, that is, a man without any property. It's important for understand uh, for us to understand Moses' circumstances and his state of mind insofar as we're able to, because it helps us appreciate how God reveals himself to him. The text tells us that Moses encountered God at Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, now history tells us that it was common for people uh, in the ancient Near East to believe that mountaintops were the dwelling places of the divine. Uh, but rather than God forcing Moses to come up to him, so to speak, God came down the mountain to Moses and resided in a bush. As Moses approached, uh, God instructed him to stop and to take off his sandals. This command should grab our attention because, at least for me anyway, it's the precursor to God's revelation as Father. In much of the ancient world, and still in some more traditional cultures today, re removing one's shoes is a sign of reverence. And certainly that would have been the case for Moses in this situation. 
because God refers to the ground as holy. In other words, God was saying, this ground is different because of my presence, Moses. This ground is set aside for this special moment in which I'm going to set you aside for a special purpose. But there was another thing that was symbolized by taking off your shoes, and that was entering a home. It was as if God was saying to Moses, you don't belong anywhere else. I get it, but it's okay because you belong with me. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. In other words, God was saying, I'm your father's father and your people's father. Moses, you've been on the run for so long, and I know you haven't felt at home, but now I've come down to you and I am your father. I accept you and I embrace you. I'll always be with you. And so you'll always be at home. God's identity has always included father. And he revealed himself as such to Moses. As for the symbol of God that I mentioned at the beginning, he famously comes to Moses in fire. Fire is used as a symbol and a description for God throughout the scriptures. Uh, Like God, fire is both attractive and repulsive. People gather around the campfire for food, conversation, songs, uh, simply to relax even. The, the fire provides light and warmth and safety and is a welcoming alternative to being in the woods in pitch black darkness. But at the same time, no one would reach their hand into the fire. And in fact, the, the heat of the flames serves as fair warning for the potential harm that fire can do. God was in the fire. And in fact, God is a fire. He is attractive and repulsive. Our our hearts are drawn to him. And yet later on in Moses' stories, we'll uh, read that God would tell him that nobody can see his face and live. There's something about God that makes him completely other and, and above humanity. It's his holiness That means that nothing less than perfect can come into his presence and survive his glory. So God is father. uh, God is fire. I also said that I see his capacity in this passage. And here's what I mean. I was once talking with a mentor of mine who suggested that you could run a conference for 18 to 35 year olds uh, titled How to Find God's Will for Your Life. And it would sell out every time. Now, I don't know if that's true for everybody, but my experience uh, with people who identify as Christians is that it is. Maybe it's just a millennial thing. I don't really know. The reality is, um, is that you can read the Bible and get a pretty good idea of what God's will is for your life. It's summed up by Jesus in the great commandment, love God and love people. And in the Great Commission, go and make disciples. In other words, help people learn how to love God and love people. Together, the Great Commandment and the Great Commission combine, I think, to be God's will for each one of us. My experience, though, is that many of us get this. So what we mean when we ask the question, what's God's will for my life, is what's the big thing that God has asked me to do that's specific to me and my journey through life? Uh, What are you going to call me to, God, 
in, in my burning bush moment. Honestly, I think there's something really virtuous in asking this question um, and in hoping for an answer. I mean, serving God is uh, valiant and it's, it's part of who God made us to be, what he made us to, to do, to be productive for his kingdom on earth. The problem is, though, that if God really calls you to something, then it's going to be too big for you. You can know that it's God's plan for your life if you can't handle it on your own. We don't get any indication from the text that Moses was seeking God's will for his life, but he sure did get it, and it was way too big for him. I I imagine he was speechless when a voice came from a shrub And maybe he stammered something like, "Uh, I'm sorry, rescue your people from Egypt? In the text, uh, Moses asks what I believe each of us ask, or at least we're tempted to ask when God has truly called us to something big. Who am I? In other words, this is way too much for me. It can be virtuous to ask God, what's the big thing that you've got for me to do with my life? But it's important that if we ask that question, then we're prepared for an answer that will force us way out of our comfort zone and well beyond our capacity. Fulfilling God's call always requires his power and his limitless capacity. Uh, Through the course of their conversation, God lovingly corrected Moses. The question you should ask Moses is not, who are you? The question is, who am I? Because if I'm with you, it doesn't matter who you are. All that matters is who I am. In fact, when they ask you about me, tell them that I am who I am. I wonder if Moses in that moment thought, you are who you are? What? I know I would have said something like that. But this is precisely the point. God just is. He's pre-existent. He's outside of time and space. He's beyond the bounds of what our human minds can fathom. He is who he was, who he is, who he will be. Moses, I am fill in the blank. I'll be whatever you need me to be to fulfill what I'm asking you to do. As we wind down our time today and consider Uh, where we might fit in this text. I think it's especially important to consider something that Jesus would say nearly 1,500 years after Moses. We're we're told in John chapter 8 that Jesus was being challenged by some religious leaders, and they were questioning Jesus' identity and his authority to say the things that he was saying. His, His answers didn't satisfy them, and they kept pressing him until finally Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. This was a a record scratch moment for Jesus' audience. And honestly, it should be for us too. Remember, we said that Abraham was the father of Moses' fathers, a man who had died more than 200 years before Moses was born. And Jesus, 1,500 years after Moses, was saying that he preexisted him. More than that, he was claiming not simply to share God's identity, but to be one with God. The the God who was the great I am to Moses had become the great I am in person to everyone. 
Moses had a blank check for God's protection, provision, help, guidance, friendship, and so much more. The crazy thing is, though, that if you've come to trust Jesus with your life, then so do you. He's always with you and has everything you need to pursue and fulfill God's great call on your life. Today, I encourage you to take time and consider two questions. Number one, do you have uh, any sense of God's call on your life? If, if not, that's okay. Um, but I'm also going to challenge you to take a few minutes and pray into that question and to make that prayer a habit until you sense something from the Lord. And the second question is this, where do you need Jesus' blank check in your life? Maybe you're aware of your call and this leg of the journey has just become too much for you. Or maybe you're just in a particularly challenging season or disorienting season, or you know somebody who's sick and needs a miracle. Maybe a relationship is broken down and you're powerless to repair it, and it's devastating you. Will you go to him today in faith and believe that he is the great I am? Fill in the blank. Let's pray. Lord, we again are grateful for this time together, for another opportunity to engage with you, to learn from you, and God, to see you as you really are. We pray that you would guard us against lies of the enemy that attempt to get us to doubt your goodness or your good intentions for us. Help us to stay focused on Jesus, who, who shows us the depth of love in his broken body and his shed blood on the cross, who is our great rescuer and redeemer. God, we thank you for holding nothing back from us in Jesus. And I just ask that you would help us to believe that you hold nothing back from us today. Use us according to your plan and purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.